Part of Americans for Prosperity's vision for healthcare is that we believe that all Americans deserve good insurance at an affordable price. But what does that even mean? What is good insurance? And how do we determine what an affordable price is for more than 350 million people? I'm Dwayne Lester, and in this Insight to Action, Dean Clancy once again joins us to talk about a personal option. We dig into the questions above and hopefully get some clarity. Here we go. We are once again talking about healthcare with Dean Clancy, and I'm looking at uh, americansforprosperity.org slash personal dash option. It's be a lot easier if you just Google AFP, a personal option, and you'll find it. But uh, Dean, we've talked about this before. Our vision for a healthcare system in, in the United States that lives up to the overall community vision of a society of mutual benefit. A uh, personal option gives you the choice and control you want the affordability you need, the quality you deserve from the medical professionals you trust. That is a very lofty goal. And to do this, we, we've also fleshed out what we've, we've titled our beliefs. And it, there are six points to this. We believe that all Americans deserve good insurance at an affordable price, access to the latest life-saving drugs at a reasonable price, to see the doctor of our choice conveniently and affordably, to know how much our care will cost upfront before we pay, the choice to try experimental treatments, and safety nets that protect the vulnerable. We're going to walk through all of these in future podcasts, but I want to start today with the first one, good insurance at an affordable price. I got to ask, is that not what we have now? And if not, what do we have? Well, we have insurance of a sort in this country, but it's not at an affordable price, generally speaking. Health benefits in America tend to be very costly for people, and the price has been rising continuously for decades. It's gotten to the point now where it almost doesn't feel like insurance at all. You could have a premium of oh, $20,000 a year and a deductible of $30,000 a year. That's an extreme case. Uh, most people, thankfully, have better coverage than that. But that's kind of where it's going. And, and Americans are looking for relief from that. The Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, a promise to solve this problem and indeed to lower our insurance premiums. Uh, that was, you know, over 10 years ago now. And in fact, premiums have gone up significantly, as have deductibles. And then there's the question of whether the insurance actually allows you to get the high quality health care you need when you need it. And increasingly, that's a problem uh, as well. So the short answer is we've got insurance, but it's, it's not meeting people's needs. You know, one of the things I found interesting, I read a book called, um, oh, what was it? David... Uh, Beto's book, From Mutual Aid to the Welfare State. I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's sort of a, a history of healthcare in America and how healthcare started out and to where it is today. But it's more focused on the mutual aid societies that used to help people get their healthcare. One thing that I found interesting in that 
is there was a point in time when the American Medical Association was against the idea of insurance because they felt that when you get someone in between the doctor and the patient, then you get a lot of problems. Were they accurate there? I think their impulse was exactly right. Um, healthcare works best when it's like any other market where you know the price up front, you know how much you're willing to spend and you spend it. Now, obviously there are exceptions like an emergency situation where you can't really control the cost of your care and you're probably not interested. You, you just wanna be better. And, and we provide for that in this society with charity, safety nets and so on. But you know, there really wasn't any health insurance to speak of in this country before roughly the Great Depression. And that's when the, the hospital associations started basically pushing for health insurance as a way to make sure that their own income streams continued during the economic downturn. And uh, eventually that evolved into the system we have today where everyone depends on a third party, an insurance company, between you and the doctor. And the result is a lot of people don't know how much their healthcare costs, and it doesn't occur to them that they should ask how much it costs. In fact, we almost um, recoil at the idea of money being involved in a medical transaction. But you're right, in the 19th century and before, there always was. The doctor would write a little note and say, okay, pay $5 on your way out. Or, you know, sometimes people couldn't afford it, they'd pay in chickens, you know. But it, it, it worked. Now, medicine was much less technologically advanced back then. It cost less, sort of pound for pound. But the basic laws of economics are the same. And, uh, and mutual aid, which you mentioned, was how Americans provided safety nets for people. Basically, everyone kind of pitched into a pool. And then when someone needed something, they drew out of the pool. That was sort of an early form of insurance. But it was very much based on helping your neighbor, and it was very humane. It wasn't big corporations and so on. So we have a whole tradition of mutual aid that, that has been completely overshadowed by modern insurance. This modern insurance kind of came to existence right after World War II, right? Am I wrong there, or did it exist, and then it just blew up after World War II? Well, there were group health plans, but during the war, wage and price controls made it difficult for employers to compete for workers uh, on the basis of wages. So the labor unions pushed to allow them to compete on the basis of certain benefits, including health benefits. And the, uh, the IRS said, sure, you can do that. And as a result, there was a boom in employer-sponsored group health benefits. And then after the war, that was codified by Congress in the tax code, and it exists down to this day. And it's why the United States is somewhat unique in the world in having an employment-based health insurance system. And that system has been great if you're employed uh, because you, you know, the, the, the insurance is not priced based on your, your uh, medical situation. So you could be healthy or you could be sick and as long as you have access to the, the pool, you're in. Problem is, if you have to change jobs, then what happens? Well, you're now an expense to the next pool if you're, if you're uh, unhealthy. So they had to pass a law called HIPAA in the 1990s that basically said, well, you can't discriminate against people moving from 
workplace pool to workplace pool. And then with Obamacare in 2010, they said, and you can't discriminate against people who move to what we call individual coverage, which is basically traditional health insurance like you would buy online or, or with, um, you know, out of the, the phone book. And that's, that's truly portable insurance. You're not part of a group. You just pay for it yourself, like home, homeowners or automobile insurance. So now we've, we've gotten to a system where because of that one change in the tax code back in World War II, our whole system is, has been re-regulated uh, to say you cannot price insurance according to risk. And the result is that um, the prices are very high for the people who are healthy. It used to be with insurance, and this is how it works. If you're healthy, it's cost less. And if you're less healthy, it costs more. And if you're older, it costs more and so on. Well, that sounds awful, except when you realize, oh, that gives you an incentive to buy before you get sick, to buy when you're young, pay into the pool, you know, and stay in. And then it'll pay for you when you need it. That's how insurance is supposed to work. But it's been replaced by group health benefits that work very differently because of that one change in the tax code. It seems like so many other things that we're looking at passing laws to fix problems created by previous laws. And that's what I'm, I'm almost, maybe I'm wrong. Is that what I'm hearing? We keep passing laws to fix problems created by previous laws rather than taking the dramatic action that we need just to make things better. That's exactly what's been happening. Instead of uh, just trying to get back to common sense and mutual aid, and yes, we do need strong government safety nets uh, to make sure that nobody dies on the sidewalk in this country. Uh, instead, we've just been adding more layers of government. And the result is all the cost problems that I mentioned earlier, and increasingly, the problem of being able to access quality care. If I can expound on that just a little bit more, with uh, the Affordable Care Act, basically uh, those plans that you get through the so-called exchange or marketplace, those plans are regulated in such a way that the incentive of the insurance company is to try to deny you access to doctors and hospitals. They, they shrink the networks. So now you find yourself driving 100 miles to get to a doctor uh, because that's the only one who's in the network. And um, it doesn't have to be that way. It's just that way because of government rules and um, in markets that are not regulated that way, there are actually other insurance markets that work reasonably well. They're very small and we wanna grow those. You don't have those problems. You can get to the doctor that you want and get the kind of care you want. The biggest problem in the American healthcare debate is this idea that, well, we've just gotta get everybody covered by group health benefits regulated by the government. Let's, let's put an insurance card in everybody's hand. Problem is you can have a card, but if it doesn't buy you any care, what good is it? Right now I'm looking at uh, the, the document and everything, and I can't help but think we, we've talked about what the state of insurance is today, how unaffordable it is for some. What does good insurance look like to you? What would it, you know in, in the in the in the vision, the ideal? What does good insurance look like? Good insurance is personally owned. It's portable from job to job. It's priced according to the risk you bring to the pool, so you have an incentive to buy early and stay in. And um, 
it's regulated lightly so that you have the flexibility to tailor the benefits to what you need. Remember, there are other ways of paying for healthcare besides insurance. You can have your own savings. And as I mentioned, there can be safety nets and charity, you know, churches and, and local communities and so forth. Ideally, you would just insure yourself against the really big expenses, catastrophic losses that would bankrupt you. All the rest you would pay for out of pocket. And that way, um, if everyone did that, the price of healthcare would be significantly less and there would be more of it to go around because when people are um, spending their own money, they shop for value. They ask, how much will this cost? Is there a better alternative, doctor? and so on. And we've gotten away from that. You know, in 1960, probably, I don't know, 70% of all healthcare spending was out of pocket. Today, 70 or 80% is through insurance and only a residual amount is out of pocket. And you can see the results in the high costs and uh, lower quality and lack of access that people are increasingly uh, facing. So good insurance is real insurance that takes account of uh, risk um, and which covers only, you know, the really big expenses. So what I'm hearing is, is similar to auto insurance. When I go and get the oil changed in my car, I don't turn that into insurance. That's something that's paid for out of pocket by me. It's it's routine care essentially for my, my car. If I go get the tires rotated again, out of pocket for me, not turned into insurance. It sounds like what you're saying is if you're going for a routine checkup, you wouldn't turn that into insurance. That would be out of pocket. Um, maybe even, maybe even, I don't know, a broken arm. You go and get the x-rays and the cast. That might be something that's out of pocket, but open heart surgery or quadruple bypass, something, you know, catastrophic that's going to be this, the equivalent of totaling your car. That's what goes to insurance. Exactly. That's why you have the insurance. Now, if if your heart problem or your surgery is something where you can schedule the surgery and, and kind of shop around before you go into surgery, then that shouldn't necessarily be insurance, although maybe your insurance, if your insurance covers it, that's great. But now you're going to have to kind of shop based on what your insurer thinks is good for you rather than what you think is best. But the point is, if when people are shopping, that's when prices become transparent. That's another problem in our system, by the way, is prices are not transparent. You just don't know what anything in healthcare costs till you've basically already incurred the bill. And uh, that would change if people were spending their own money. So yes, um, if health insurance were more like auto insurance, it would be a lot better for everyone. And if I can just dwell on this point one for one more second, Imagine if we, we had insurance for groceries, you know, if we treated groceries the way we treat health care, you know, you'd go to the grocery store and instead of walking in and seeing the prices and picking what you want, you, they'd stop you in the parking lot and they'd say, now, uh, which grocery plan are you on? Are you, is this grocery store in your network? And then if they let you in, they'd say, okay, now you can only shop in aisles six through nine and only the lower six shelves because, you know, your plan doesn't cover the other stuff. And uh, then you get to the checkout and they'd say, well, wait a minute, that item, we need prior authorization on that one. You can't just, you know, put that in your basket and walk out. It would be crazy. And yet that's how we, we live in healthcare. But we don't have to. 
So what are the obstacles that you see, the biggest obstacles that we have to overcome, if you want to couch it as internal or external barriers, to realizing the vision of good insurance at an affordable price? The long-term policy goal should be to level the tax playing field between insurance and out-of-pocket expenses and between group insurance and individual insurance. So the consumer, the patient, is the one deciding how to pay for health care, and it's not being biased by government policy. And uh, you want to get there in a way that's gradual and voluntary, so you don't disrupt existing arrangements. I mean, right now, a lot of people are very dependent, for example, on their workplace health plan, and they like it a lot. And, and by the way, most Americans like their current health care arrangements. People are not looking for a revolution in health care. So to do it gradually, what we at um, AFP recommend is, first of all, let every American save and spend for health care tax-free with their out-of-pocket expenses. Right now, that's basically not allowed unless you have a tool called a tax-free health savings account. And these do exist, but only about 10% of Americans have them. And HSA is like a, a tool that uh, it lets you spend uh, tax for pre-tax dollars on health care, just like your employer does when he buys you group health benefits. It means you get a 10 to 40% discount on every purchase from the account. Your health care dollar goes farther with an HSA, and it levels that playing field. So you, the patient, are in charge of making the decision. We need to change the law so that every American has access to an HSA. We need to remove some barriers so that that uh, can happen. And then we also need to deregulate insurance markets so that they can price more according to risk. By the way, I'm not saying that HSAs are a replacement for insurance. They, they're a supplement. And I'm not saying we should get rid of group health benefits that allow sick people to get in at the same price as healthy people. That's fine if that's what you want. But we should also re-legalize true insurance. And we can do that through things like allowing uh, what are called short-term health plans. Those, that's basically the remnant of true insurance that still exists. It's state regulated. And that means you can, you can buy an affordable plan. It can be 50 to 80% less expensive than a traditionally regulated health plan. Why? Because it doesn't have to comply with all the onerous federal rules and red tape. It's just traditional old-fashioned insurance. It's short-term because they only let you have it for up to three years at most. Um, we're, we're trying to make sure all the states allow at least that much. And, um, and doing that, would, that's a great bridge for people. And uh, so I've been going through a list of things that you can do. The net result of all those things, Dwayne, would be that insurance would start to look like what insurance used to look like and costs would tend to come down. One of the selling points for the Affordable Care Act was the idea that people with pre-existing conditions could still get uh, the insurance of their choice. How do we look at that? Is that something that, that as a law we w or regulation, we would say that does not fit our vision? How do we handle folks in this vision when they have pre-existing conditions when it comes to insurance? That's a really important question. That issue of pre-existing conditions is probably the number one reason why the effort to repeal and replace Obamacare failed in 2017 after years of 
uh, promises by politicians to do it. Um, the public strongly supports protecting people with pre-existing conditions. And it makes sense. I mean, if somebody is sick, um, health insurance will cost more. Um, you know, it's like if you try to buy uh, fire insurance and your, your home is already on fire, it's, it's going to cost a fortune. You, you, you need to buy it before your house uh, catches fire. And people instinctively think, well, but, but the person whose house is on fire, we've got to help that person. That's fine. And that's why I said earlier that um, banning, um, you know, discrimination based on pre-existing conditions is fine in the group health benefits market, which is where most people are. But what we're saying is let's also allow real insurance, true insurance alongside group health benefits and let individual patients choose what they want. I have a group health benefits plan through my employer and it's good. But I wouldn't mind at some point in my life switching to an individually owned policy that costs less, that meets my needs better, and, um, and is portable. So I don't have to worry about what happens when I change uh, jobs. So yes, we should go ahead and ban pre-existing conditions in the group market, but let's allow uh, medical risk-based pricing in the true insurance market. There's also a mental model in that, that perspective that we have to have this law that forces insurance companies to insure folks with pre-existing conditions. And that mental model is that if government doesn't do this, it won't be done. And we could also talk about the safety nets in this, in this uh, discussion, because those safety nets don't have to be from government. There can be organizations that supplement that. I, mean, I can't imagine the amount of charity that would go towards helping people with, uh, with dealing with cancer. I'm sure they're out there. I'm blessed that I have not had to look for them at this point in my life. But you could have insurance or you could have charities out there. You could have safety nets that help people deal with these issues as they come up. They can, they can help maybe supplement insur insurance costs that can help with treatment. Maybe there are charity hospitals that would focus specifically on this. I think of John Hudson out in, in uh, Utah spending millions of dollars in cancer research and cancer treatment. There's a lot of things that can happen outside of government action that would solve some of the problems people are looking to government to solve. Well, and the funny thing is, Duane, all of that is actually happening now. Uh, Americans are incredibly generous and compassionate. We don't let people die on the sidewalk. We do take care of the indigent. The basic rule in this country is that if you walk into an emergency room, um, we look to see what's wrong with you, we stabilize you, and try to fix what's wrong with you without ever asking the question of how are we going to pay for this. We do that question after you're okay. And that's the right way to do it. And so as a result, hospitals in this country receive very large uh, subsidies from government to pay for what's called um, uncompensated care. In other words, the person who just could, can't afford to pay uh, to have his, his broken arm uh, set or for whatever the, the bill is. So basically the taxpayers subsidize that. And that's just part of having a government safety net. But you're right. It doesn't just have to be government. And it isn't. I mean, there are charities, there are churches and communities uh, that help and, and um, you know, nonprofit hospitals 
that provide charity care. But uh, that whole charitable sector and mutual aid has really atrophied over the decades. It's not nearly as robust as it once was. And it's because government has grown to, to address every problem. And you're right. We don't need government to address every problem. It should just focus on the problems that the rest of us can't solve on our own. One last question before I let you go. The first point that we are focusing on, good insurance at an affordable price. An affordable price is kind of vague. Could you describe what an affordable price looks like in this vision? Well, affordable, of course, is it's determined by you. You decide whether you think it's affordable. And that means you need to have the freedom to say no to it and to and, and to have the competition and the alternatives that you can choose between. Right now, with insurance, at your work, place of work, realistically, your employer offers you one option, maybe two. If you're at a large employer, you might even get a little menu of options, and some of them might be quite good. But I guarantee you, you didn't craft any of those benefits. Some person in HR decided what the offerings are going to be, and you take them or leave them. And that's not real consumer choice. And that means that if you accept it, I guess you're deeming it affordable. You, you feel like you, you better do it or because you got no better options. But we want a world where you have so many good options that everyone is happy and content that they found the affordable option. And everyone is free to change when it ceases to be affordable. One thing that people might be thinking about is the idea of not having that employer health care and looking for health care on their own in the market and thinking I have I would have a hard time affording that on my current salary. But there are things that would change along with the changes made in health care. For example, if your employer is no longer paying for their health care, paying, paying for your health care, that's money that they can just turn around and pay in a salary. So maybe now you're you're getting a higher salary or a higher wage because that cost behind the scenes no longer exists. And so that increase in your cost in pay could go towards a health care or a uh, insurance package that does more for you specifically and you're happier with. And there might even be money left over. There's there's the unseen, you know, what's going to happen after this. Things won't stay static. They won't say exactly the way they are. Again, employers are going to compete to keep their best people. And that might be, look, we don't offer health care, but our wages and salaries are much higher than the competitors. Yes, you're absolutely right. My guess is some employers will continue to offer health benefits in that scenario, large employers, especially competitive markets. Others, um, yeah, they'll just pay you in cash. And um, by the way, you to talk about affordability a little more, the fact is affordable certainly means that health insurance is not growing in cost by five, six, seven, ten percent a year every year, as it has been doing for decades. And why is health insurance growing like that when the rest of the economy has like you know much less inflation, at least so far? Oh, it's because of the, the, the distorted incentives that we've been discussing. So affordable health care at a minimum means that health care inflation is no greater than economy-wide uh, inflation. But you're right. We need to uh, be willing to imagine a world that's very different from what we're in and a world that in a lot of ways is much better for everybody. 
Big thank you to Dean Clancy for taking the time to talk to us about good insurance at an affordable price. And if you have any questions about this aspect of a personal option or any questions about the healthcare priority initiative, or you know what, any of the other priority initiatives that we've ever talked about, please send me an email at I, the number two, A, at AFPHQ.org. I'm Dwayne Lester, and this has been Insight to Action.